Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. You know, we're now on our 17th episode of 2021. You know, as many of you may know, I'm an adjunct professor at the university, and every spring I teach a big data analytics course for master's students in their last semester before graduation. And I love this course because I get to put student teams on big data analytic projects, and results are so fascinating. This semester, I had one of our teams analyze the RDOF 904 auction results. And if you've ever gone to the FCC website, the data file for the RDOF auction is a beast. And the results of this analysis is extremely interesting. And tomorrow, I will share these results with you and a panel of the industry's top experts to get their insights and perspectives. So please join us tomorrow Thursday, April 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern as the Fiber Broadband Association presents what really happened during the RDOF 904 auction, a detailed look under the hood. It's gonna be great. So last week, you know, we discussed five critical and difficult disaster recovery challenges and examined how to mitigate these risks. This week, we're gonna talk about money and lots of it. You know, our topic today is on state funding and the successful grant application strategies. But before I introduce our today's guests, I'd like to introduce Trish Ehlers from our team, who will walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you, Gary, and good morning to everyone who's joined us. I'm going to quickly go over a few logistical items. If everyone would please keep in mind that all participants are in listen-only mode. To ask a question, you can just type it into the question box located within your control panel. We will host a Q&A session toward the end. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to members on FBA's website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a feed a brief feedback survey. We do appreciate your input, so please take the time to complete that. I'll pass it back to Gary now to introduce our panelists and get us started. Gary? Thanks, Trish. And again, good morning and welcome, everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, 2021 promises to be the largest fiber investment year in history, and we are clearly at the beginning of a major fiber investment cycle. Today, I have Mark Mirla of Finley Engineering with me today to discuss today's topic, need state funding, grant application successes and strategies. Mark Mirla is the Director of Strategy Operations for Finley Engineering Company. Mark has been with Finley since 2008. He's responsible for business development as well as some project management, engineering, budgeting, scheduling, and client relations. Mark also coordinates teams and processes for loans and grant applications for various federal and state government programs. Prior to joining Finley, Mark served various management, uh, in various management and technical positions at Mid-America Energy Company, Gateway Inc., and he has owned and operated a private technology consultant company. 
Mark holds a bachelor's of science degree in electrical and computer engineering from the University of Iowa. He is a certified project management professional and is a licensed professional engineer in several states. And I'm certain our audience will be listening carefully to better understand the best strategies for a successful grant application. You know, for our audience, please type in your questions as we go for our Q&A at the conclusion of the presentation. With that, over to you, Mark. Thanks, Gary. So I'd like to start by just mentioning that this is going to be a very quick cursory view of uh, state applications. And we are actually scheduled to have, I think, a one hour webinar with your team on May 13th. So just wanted everybody to be aware of that. Uh, to start off with, just wanted to give you an idea of who Finley Engineering is. For those that don't know, we've been engineering communication networks since 1953. Uh, we have been involved for decades with federal loan programs. And in the last probably seven to eight, 10 years, we've been involved in a lot of grant programs as well through the federal agencies. Um, at the state level, so far in the last seven years, we've been involved in 70 grant applications in about eight states. And I've got a list there of the different types of clients that we've worked for in the past. More related to our subject at hand, uh, state grant applications. Uh, I'm gonna use Minnesota as an example only because they've been one of the most active for, well, since 2014. And they have offered so far, I believe, over $126 million over about a six-year period. And they have been successful enough that they've been asked to consult with at least 25 other states so far on their proposed bills for legislation and their processes and their application forms. And our involvement at that level for Minnesota so far, uh, we have been involved in 56 applications out of the 360 that they've offered so far since 2014. Uh, and then I've just got some examples down below there of some of our successes in 2020. Uh, out of our 11 clients that applied, we had 10 of them were awarded, which was about 25% of the, the state money available in uh, 2019. I skipped 2018 because that was the one year they did not have money available. And then in 2017, we had uh, about 40% of the state pot was awarded to our clients. Enough about Finley, let's get into state applications. <clears throat> Uh, just some general developments I would like to make everybody aware of is over the last few years, there's been changes each year as time has gone. Uh, not only different states have been adding money to their pots, but even states that have been offering money, such as Minnesota, for many years, they have changed things a little bit each year. And so it's, I think it's important to know what some of that is as time goes. More states are offering money, first of all, uh, and those that have offered money for quite a while are actually upping their amounts quite a bit. So just to give you an idea, like for example, the state of South Dakota, I believe has $100 million they're going to offer over several rounds. Uh, the state of Iowa has upped their amounts and they now have multiple NOFAs that they've offered. So anyway, there's a lot of states that are offering more money than before. Many are following Minnesota's lead and successes. Again, like I mentioned, they've consulted with over 25 states. We believe it's getting harder to identify eligible areas in some states, partially because, uh, like for example, federal mappings that are available, uh, the accuracy uh, of the information, as well as being limited by census blocks has been somewhat of an issue. Uh, some of the states have upped that a little bit and they've had a consultant come in and uh, do their own mapping 
And some of that has been very reliable. Uh, Minnesota, for example, uh, has their own firm come in and make sure that their maps are updated and they're using shape files to do that. So it's very accurate. Uh, there are some other states that are doing the same thing, except they are offering census block information, which is somewhat limiting. Uh, speed tier requirements are starting to change more. Um, and then also with the federal programs as RDOF as an example, uh, needs to be coordinated a little bit more with some of the state programs. So that's added another little complexity in there that people need to factor in. As far as a typical grant application, and uh, I just thought I'd whip through some of the categories that they typically look at. First of all, they look at some speed improvements. Uh, are you, you're going from what to what, and then you'll get points accordingly to how much you're upping those, those speeds available. The number of passings that you're going to cover, things like uh, the percent of eligible costs requested. State of Minnesota, for example, limits it at 50%. Uh, whatever your project entails, you can only get funding, grant funding for up to 50% of that. Uh, the less you ask for, the more points you get toward the scoring. Community participation is another category. Um, that's looking at things like, uh, you know, do you have partners and uh, what are the financial commitments? Are they, are they lined up with those partners? Letters of support, and they ask for letters of support from a lot of different types of entities, such as businesses and healthcare and education and farms and a lot of different folks. Project readiness. That's things like, uh, do you have your finances lined up? Uh, do you have a certified design? Is your schedule laid out? Things like that. Project sustainability, do you have the technical expertise? Is your organization laid out to be able to support that additional network? Uh, are you financially capable of carrying that network for years where it may not be profitable? Things like that. Economic development and community impact, uh, that would be things like, have you identified all of the businesses and farms and anchor institutions and education and healthcare and, and those types of organizations uh, and the benefits that they're going to, to get from this project? Uh, what are the uh, population decreases or increases that are happening in your area? Is it economically distressed? Uh, what, what are the employment rates? Things like that. And then lastly, broadband adoption activities and that would be things like i've mentioned there tech support do you have a, a good tech support program are you going to offer training to users in the community do you have a low income assistance program as far as some changes that happen over time um, i thought i'd just mention a few things that that need to be looked at uh, and again this is some states not all states as i go through these because they're not all the same um, some states spread the money out across the state so if you're a provider that's looking at applying, you might want to factor that into your strategy. Uh, for example, we do have some clients that maybe put in four or five applications. If you have those four or five applications all in one area, uh, there's a good chance you're not going to have them all approved because, again, they like to spread the money across the state. The other thing, too, is if there's a, uh, some of your neighbors are going to be applying and you happen to know that, uh, you might want to factor that into your, to your strategy as well. Uh, secondly, community support letters. Uh, and again, that's in some states. They put a, a big emphasis on that. We've had some applications that have had over 125 support letters that came along with their application. And that could be from businesses. Again, all those same categories, businesses, farms, healthcare, education, uh, and even residences. 
have, have supplied letters in the past. Some states prefer that the dollars come from more than just the applicant and the, the state grant money. The state of Minnesota, for example, has put more emphasis on that. They're, they really are emphasizing more partnerships to be involved, to make sure that there's community support there for the, for the program. And in fact, when we've been asked to do feasibility studies, it's not uncommon for me to ask a city or a county right up front, <clears throat> excuse me, as I listen to them tell me about all of the reasons why they need broadband so bad, a lot of times I'll follow that up with, okay, if it is that important for you, how much skin are you willing to put into the game? Uh, because a lot of these projects won't happen without that. Again, a fairly new development is there seems to be a need to provide more coordination between the federal and state offerings. Uh, we had quite a lot of discussions in the state of Minnesota with their broadband office when RDOF was announced. And it was a matter of, okay, how should the state coordinate with the federal program? Or is it more a matter of letting the individual applicants themselves have to deal with that? And they're going to be two completely separate programs. Uh, Multi-year applicants are viewed upon favorably. Um, I know in the state of Minnesota, again, they put some weight on that. If you've been an applicant in past years and you have networks that have been funded by the, the grant applications and you've got the network built out, it's been successful, was timely, on budget, things like that, they consider that as, as a, a good candidate going forward and they know that, whereas a lot of new applicants could be questionable if they don't know much about them. And then lastly, I just want to make the comment that applications seem to be getting every year, getting better every year. So the bar is rising and we have found that for a while we were leading in a lot of ways that we did our applications. Um, that's becoming more the norm. So it is, uh, it's getting much more competitive. And then lastly, I just wanted to touch base briefly on some of the successes and what that has done for some small organizations. Here I have examples of two providers. Uh, I, pick, I happen to pick very small providers uh, just to give an example of how it can benefit those. Uh, first of all, we have a, a rural cooperative telephone company. They started with 300 subscribers. Uh, they were a combination of uh, fiber to the home and fixed wireless. Uh, they have been applying for grant money, and so far they have grown from 300 to, I believe now it's well over 1,500 subscribers. And they have projections that are still going out quite a ways beyond that. So the growth is planned to continue. And then the second one is, uh, again, this is an independent telecom. Again, fiber to the home and fixed wireless in their network. And they have grown from 900 to over 3,000 subscribers. And same thing there. They still have much more growth that they have planned into their strategic planning uh, so far. So with that, I think I'll open it up to some questions. Mark, hey, thank you very much. Uh, certainly very interesting, and uh, I got a ton of questions here. Um, so when you look at you know, your last slide, you had you know going from uh, 300 subs to 1,500, 900 subs to 3,000. Are how are they growing their base? Is it they are um, unserved areas? Are they moving out beyond their normal footprint, or what is that strategy? Yes, in fact, the the original number I had there, the 300 and the 900, th that was their original ILEC area. And all of it has been growing out into unserved and underserved areas, correct? And uh, <clears throat> like the state of Minnesota, for example, they do put more emphasis on unserved areas. 
but they will provide funding for both unserved and underserved. So the people that come to you, are you seeing, uh, are these new market entrants, you know, like say a rural electric um, utility that says I need to get in broadband or municipality or um, a overbuilder, are they mostly, you're seeing mostly traditional um, rural ILECs that um, looking to expand the territory, you know, so what are you guys seeing? I would say it's mostly traditional, but there are some that are up and comers uh, and they're taking advantage of that program to be able to do that. You know, in reality, it's all fair game. I mean, if there's areas that are unserved, uh, you know, as long as they can prove themselves to be a reliable company and have the financial backing and the, and the technical support and the uh, organizational support that they needed and can prove that, uh, there are some of those coming into the market. Right, it's an interesting question here. It's, are states beginning to ask applicants to build more application-oriented, future-proof networks, such as smart city applications, precision agriculture, et cetera? Or is it just that the applicants are saying, we want to pass homes and businesses with fiber and give us the money for that? I would say our involvement has primarily been on adding to the base infrastructure that's out there. As part of their case that they build in their application, it is helpful if they talk about how that can be advantageous toward other initiatives such as smart X, whatever that might be, smart cities, smart homes, smart, all kinds of things. And that, uh, that definitely adds some, some weight to their case. But in general, most of it has been, we just need to get it out there. There's too many areas that just don't have it and they still have so many of the basic needs that they need to cover yet that that's, that's their focus. And how long does the process take from start to finish? Um, again, I'll use Minnesota as an example. Typically the application period will open up in July. Uh, I'll say around mid-July and the applications are then due by around the end of September. But that said, there are some other scheduling events in there that need to be considered. Uh, for example, in Minnesota, they require an applicant to send a, a letter to any providers that already cover that area to make sure they understand what you're going to do and they have a chance to challenge that then. And so uh, that process of having to get letters out there, there's a requirement as to how much in advance of the application due date that they have to do that so that the provider that's in that area has a chance to respond and they so, can contest it. And there have been cases where uh, an application was not awarded based on that. So basically you need to go notify all your competitors to say, here's our plan. Here's what we're going to be submitting for in our application. Do you guys have any problem with that? And then they have a chance to say, yeah, we might not like you to build out in our territory. Well, the, the best case they'll have to challenge it is, hey, we are providing in that area and we actually have a construction schedule laid out to say, put fiber to the home in that area that you're looking at covering. So uh, it needs to be a good case as to how they are going to serve those customers. It can't be that they just don't like it, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, I mean, I see both ways. So what you're saying is the response is legitimate plans of we're gonna serve with fiber versus people drawing circles around antennas saying, hey, we got it all covered. Okay. Yeah, they need, they need to make a case as to, as to what they're going to do now. There have been cases where there have been challenges and then we have learned from that 
And so then in, in the following years, if we apply in certain areas, we'll actually, if, if the community wants us to, we'll actually do a survey and get a survey of what speeds people are actually receiving, what they're paying for, uh, that type of thing. And so then we compile all that information and we use that as part of an application at, time or as time, at times because we have had to build that case up front and we actually got the award. And here's one from Washington. So in Washington, we, we are discussing the idea of caps um, for subscriber costs. Have you seen like anything like this in other areas? There are applications that require you to submit what you're planning to charge, your, your tiering. And as you submit those tiers, uh, there are times where they'll come back and say, here's some limitations we are going to implement. You might want to reconsider what you're going to do for your pricing in this area. So I, I, I don't know that anybody has officially said caps, at least not in the states where we've done applications, but we have gotten some feedback like that at times, if that's helpful. Okay, and what are the resources available to help foster public-private partnerships? In other words, if an electric co-op wants to build fiber, what are tools out there for them to help foster interest partnerships with municipalities or businesses in the area, you know, to get them to put some skin in the game? Well, that's really what it amounts to is, <clears throat> first of all, you want to make sure all of the organizations that could be involved are communicating well up front. And I, I cannot overemphasize enough strategic planning before it ever gets to this application process is trying to have providers, whether it's rural electric co-ops or telcos or, or WISPs, whatever it might be, to lay out their strategic plans for the next few years and have laid out what you want to do. And a lot of that will involve communications if you're going to if you're going to implement any public private partnerships. And we have seen a whole variety of different types of entities getting involved with each other, some from a financial standpoint, some from an operational standpoint, <clears throat> or in some cases, even shared network where they split the network. But the communication side of it is just so important. As far as a tool, I mean, we have been used as a tool before to help be a part of those communications, to help them lay out some of the possibilities and certainly, of course, the, the technical aspects of it. I'm not sure if that answers the question exactly, but that's communication is just the biggest part of it. And then as far as the application for state grants, <clears throat> that's that's highly encouraged. Like I mentioned earlier, that's highly encouraged by the states to uh, be a part of those partnerships. They, they actually like seeing community involvement of any type and public-private partnerships as part of that. Um, so here, a question that came in and says, you know, thank you, Mark. Um, they really appreciate you sharing your experiences and advice. Do you have any experience with ISPs working with and applying for grants with electric co-ops? Yes, there are some of those, and uh, we would be happy to share those if you want to reach out to me. Um, <clears throat> and we can touch on that a little bit more, too, when we do our hour-long session in on May 13th. Uh, we'd be happy to, but yes, the, question, the answer is yes. Yeah, and just to, to reiterate, yeah, so you'll be doing a more deep dive hour-long webinar um, on May 13th. And what time Correct. was that again? I, I don't have the time. Okay, um, so Trish will put that up. But, um, yeah, May that 13th. is at 2 p.m. Eastern. 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay, great. All right, um, another question. So do you find customers viewing fixed wireless as a permanent solution or as a stopgap while fiber is being planned and deployed? 
Well, in most cases, it's it's short term. Um, in fact, we do have some success cases now where uh, we have been awarded grant money for a provider and they build out a hybrid network, part uh, fiber and part uh, uh, fixed wireless. And with the intent that as time goes, they were hoping that some of the profitability from the fixed wireless network, because it's, you know, it's, it's got a fairly fast payback in some cases, uh, they could use that then to help expand the fiber network after that. And we are now starting to see those, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that are in that next phase of starting to use those profits to expand their fiber network out into more of the territory. And in fact, one of them, I think, even has plans to, <clears throat> to expand into the entire county in one area. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's kind of what we see typically is, you know, if you come to, you're trying to get some, pick up some homes across a lake, you can beam fixed wireless until you can get the fiber. Or, or um, you know, if you go to an apartment building and you can see another apartment building, get a you know, beam fixed wireless over to that building until you get fiber to it. So, you know, it's kind of a, Retention strategy is what we've seen mostly. On right, that. right. Now, we, we, we've also seen other cases where they put in a fixed wireless network and they're now going through upgrades to that network and going through a, a second phase of the wireless network because the uh, profitability for the fiber side of it just isn't there quite yet. So we're starting to see that next generation of hybrid fixed wireless network replacing the first phase. And then you were talking about, um, you know, you mentioned that many states are following Minnesota's lead. You know, what is it about the Minnesota program that, you know, others are intrigued with? Um, we think it was laid out very well, and people see that. It's not as complicated as, as some of the federal programs used to be in the past. Um, it's very straightforward, but yet it takes a lot of things into consideration, partly, too, because they've been doing this since the year 2014 so it's been going on for seven years now uh, and they've had a lot of input from a lot of us in the communities as well and they've made some adjustments so overall it's just viewed as a as a very good program all right well mark we're out of time i mean it's really great information i know you're going to be going into much bigger deep dive um in a couple weeks and so hopefully everybody can do that and then um I really appreciate you taking the time to share this with us this morning. So okay. next week, we're gonna be discussing the opportunities and challenges with stimulus broadband expansion projects and then why we should do them anyway with uh, Brian Worthen, the CEO of Visionary Broadbands. You're not gonna to wanna to meet that. Um, so please join us tomorrow for our Art Off webinar. That's gonna be, you'll be blown away by some of the insights and you'll be there's going to be some surprising things you'll learn about. So please join us tomorrow at 1. And thanks again. Um, and we look forward to seeing you guys again next Wednesday for Fiber for Breakfast. Have a great week.